Chapter Seven of the Daughter of the Commandant by Alexander Pushkin, translated by Mrs. Milne Home. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kevin Davidson. The assault. All the night I could not sleep, and I did not even take off my clothes. I had meant in the early morning to gain the gate of the fort by which Maria Ivanovna was to leave to bid her a last good-bye. I felt that a complete change had come over me. The agitation of my mind seemed less hard to bear than the dark melancholy in which I had been previously plunged. Blended with the sorrow of parting, I felt within me vague but sweet hopes, an eager expectation of coming dangers, and a feeling of noble ambition. The night passed quickly. I was going out when my door opened and the corporal came in to tell me that our Cossacks had left the fort during the night, taking away with them by force you lie, and that around our ramparts unknown people were gathering. The thought that Marya Ivanovna had not been able to get away terrified me to death. I hastily gave some orders to the corporal, and I ran to the commandant's house. Day was breaking. I was hurrying down the street when I heard myself called by someone. I stopped. "'Where are you going, if I may presume to ask you?' said Ivan Ignatich, catching me up. "'Ivan Kuzmich is on the ramparts, and has sent me to seek you. Bulyach has come.' "'Is Maria Ivanovna gone?' I asked, with an inward trembling. "'She hasn't had time,' rejoined Ivan Ignatich. "'The road to Orenburg is blocked, the fort surrounded, and it is a bad lookout, Pyotr Andreitch.' We went to the ramparts a little natural height, and fortified by a palisade. We found the garrison here under arms. The cannon had been dragged hither the preceding evening. The commandant was walking up and down before his little party. The approach of danger had given the old warrior wonderful activity. Out on the steppe, and not very far from the fort, could be seen about twenty horsemen, who appeared to be Cossacks, but amongst them were some Bashkirs, easily distinguished by their high caps and their quivers. The commandant passed down the ranks of the little army, saying to the soldiers, "'Now, children, let us do well to-day for our mother, the Empress, and let us show all the world that we are brave men and true to our oaths.' The soldiers, by loud shouts, expressed their good will and assent. Shrabrin remained near me, attentively watching the enemy. The people, whom we could see on the steppe, noticed doubtless some stir in the fort, gathered into parties, and consulted together. The commandant ordered Ivan Ignatyitch to point the cannon at them, and himself applied the match. The ball passed whistling over their heads without doing them any harm. The horsemen at once dispersed at a gallop, and the steppe was deserted. At this moment Vasilisa Igorovna appeared on the ramparts, followed by Maria, who had not wished to leave her. "'Well,' said the commandant's wife, "'how goes the battle? Where is the enemy?' "'The enemy is not far,' replied Ivan Kuzmich. "'But if God wills, all will be well. "'And you, Masha, are you afraid?' "'No, Papa,' replied Marya. "'I am more frightened alone in the house.' She glanced at me, trying to smile. I squeezed the hilt of my sword, remembering that I had received it on the eve from her hand, as if for her defence. My heart burnt within my breast. I felt as if I were her knight. I thirsted to prove to her that I was worthy of her trust.' and I impatiently expected the decisive moment. All at once, coming from a height about eight versts from the fort, appeared fresh parties of horsemen, and soon the whole steppe became covered with people armed with arrows and lances. 
Among them, dressed in a red caftan, sword in hand, might be seen a man mounted on a white horse, a conspicuous figure. This was Pugachev himself. He stopped, and they closed round him, and soon afterwards, probably by his orders, four men came out of the crowd and approached our ramparts at full gallop. We recognized in them some of our traitors. One of them waved a sheet of paper above his head. Another bore on the point of his spike the head of Ulai, which he cast to us over the palisade. The head of the poor Kalmuk rolled to the feet of the commandant. The traitors shouted to us, "'Don't fire! Come out to receive the Tsar! The Tsar is here!' "'Children, fire!' cried the commandant for all answer. The soldiers fired a volley. The Cossack, who had the letter, quivered and fell from his horse. The others fled at full speed. I glanced at Marya Ivanovna, spellbound with horror at the sight of Ulai's head. Stunned by the noise of the volley, she seemed unconscious. The commandant called the corporal and bid him go and take the paper from the fallen Cossack. The corporal went out into the open and came back, leading by its bridle the dead man's horse. He gave the letter to the commandant. Ivan Kuzmich read it in a low voice and tore it to bits. We now saw that the rebels were making ready to attack. Soon the bullets whistled about our ears, and some arrows came quivering around us in the earth and in the posts of the palisade. Vasilisi Gorovna, said the commandant, this is not a place for women. Take away Masha. You see very well that the girl is more dead than alive. Vasilisa Igorovna, whom the sound of the bullets had somewhat subdued, glanced toward the step where a great stir was visible in the crowd, and said to her husband, Ivan Kuzmich, life and death are in God's hand. Bless Masha. Masha, go to your father. Pale and trembling, Maria approached Ivan Kuzmich and dropped on her knees, bending before him with reverence. The old commandant made the sign of the cross three times over her, then raised her up, kissed her, and said to her in a voice husky with emotion, "'Well, Masha, may you be happy. Pray to God, and he will not forsake you. If an honest man come forward, may God grant you both love and wisdom. Live together as we have lived, my wife and I. And now farewell, Masha. Vasilisya Gorovna, take her away quickly.' Marya threw herself upon his neck and began sobbing. "'Kiss me, too,' said the commandant's wife, weeping. "'Good-bye, my Ivan Kuzmich. Forgive me if I have ever vexed you.' "'Good-bye, good-bye, little mother,' said the commandant, embracing his old companion. "'There now, enough. Go away home, and if you have time, put Masha on a sarafan.' The commandant's wife went away with her daughter. I followed Marya with my eyes. She turned round and made me a last sign. Ivan Kuzmich came back to us, and turned his whole attention to the enemy. The rebels gathered round their leader, and all at once dismounted hastily. "'Be ready,' the commandant said to us. "'The assault is about to begin.' At the same moment resounded wild war-cries. The rebels were racing down on the fort. Our cannon was loaded with grape. The commandant allowed them to approach within a very short distance and then applied a match to the touch-hole. The grape struck in the midst of the crowd, and dispersed it in every direction. The leader alone remained to the fore, brandishing his sword. He appeared to be exhorting them hotly. The yells, which had ceased for a moment, were redoubled now. "'Now, children,' cried the commandant, "'open the door, beat the drum, and forward. Follow me for a sally.' The commandant, Ivan Ignatich, and I found ourselves in a moment beyond the parapet, but the garrison, afraid, had not stirred. 
"'What are you doing, my children?' shouted Ivan Kuzmich. "'If we must die, let us die. It is our duty.' At this moment the rebels fell upon us and forced the entrance of the citadel. The drum ceased, the garrison threw down its arms. I had been thrown down, but I got up and passed helter-skelter with the crowd into the fort. I saw the commandant wounded in the head and hard-pressed by a little band of robbers clamoring for the keys. I was running to help him when several strong Cossacks seized me and bound me with their kuchaks, shouting, "'Wait a bit! You will see what will become of you traitors to the Tsar!' We were dragged along the streets. The inhabitants came out of their houses, offering bread and salt. The bells were rung. All at once shouts announced that the Tsar was in the square, waiting to receive the oaths of the prisoners. All the crowd diverged in that direction, and our keepers dragged us thither. Pugachev was seated in an armchair on the threshold of the commandant's house. He wore an elegant Cossack kaftan embroidered down the seams. A high cap of marten sable, ornamented with gold tassels, came closely down over his flashing eyes. His face did not seem unknown to me. The Cossack chief surrounded him. Father Gerasim, pale and trembling, was standing, cross in hand at the foot of the steps, and seemed to be silently praying for the victims brought before him. In the square a gallows was being hastily erected. When we came near, some Bashkirs drove back the crowd, and we were presented to Pugachev. The bell ceased clanging, and the deepest silence reigned again. "'Where is the commandant?' asked the usurper. Our Uryadnik came forward and pointed out Ivan Kuzmich. Pugachev looked fiercely upon the old man and said to him, "'How was it you dared to oppose me, your rightful emperor?' The commandant, enfeebled by his wound, collected his remaining strength and replied in a resolute tone, "'You are not my emperor. You are a usurper and a robber.' Pugachev frowned and waved his white handkerchief. Several Cossacks immediately seized the old commandant and dragged him away to the gallows. Astride on the cross-beam sat the disfigured Bashkir who had been cross-examined on the preceding evening. He held a rope in his hand and I saw the next moment poor Ivan Kuzmich swinging in the air. Then Ivan Ignatyitch was brought before Pugachev. "'Swear fidelity,' Pugachev said to him, "'to the Emperor Pyotr Fyodorovitch.' "'You are not our Emperor,' replied the lieutenant, repeating his commandant's words. "'You are a robber, my uncle, and a usurper.' Pugachev again gave the handkerchief symbol, and good Ivan Ignatyitch swung beside his old chief. "'It was my turn.' Boldly I looked on Pugachev, and made ready to echo the answer of my outspoken comrades. Then, to my inexpressible surprise, I saw among the rebels Shvabrin, who had found time to cut his hair short and put on a Cossack kaftan. He approached Pugachev and whispered a few words in his ear. "'Hang him!' said Pugachev, without deigning to throw me a look. The rope was passed about my neck. I began saying a prayer in a low voice offering up to God a sincere repentance for all my sins, imploring him to save all those who were dear to my heart. I was already at the foot of the gallows. "'Fear nothing, fear nothing,' the assassins said to me, perhaps to give me courage, when all at once a shout was heard. "'Stop, accursed ones!' The executioners stayed their hand. I looked up. Sivielich lay prostrate at the feet of Pugachev. "'Oh, my own father!' my poor follower was saying." What need have you of the death of this noble child? Let him go free, and you will get a good ransom. But for an example, and to frighten the rest, 
Let them hang me, an old man. Pugachev gave a signal. I was immediately unbound. Our father shows you mercy, they said to me. At this moment, I cannot say that I was much overjoyed at my deliverance, but I cannot say either that I regretted it, for my feelings were too upset. I was again brought before the usurper and forced to kneel at his feet. Pugachev held out to me his muscular hand. Kiss his hand! Kiss his hand! was shouted around me. But rather would I have preferred the most cruel torture to such an abasement. "'My father, Pyotr Andreitch,' whispered Savelyevich to me, and nudged me with his elbow. "'Don't be obstinate. What does it matter? Spit and kiss the hand of the ro—' "'Kiss his hand.' I did not stir. Pugachev withdrew his hand, and said, smiling, "'Apparently his lordship is quite idiotic with joy. Raise him.' I was helped up and left free. The infamous drama drew to a close. The villagers began to swear fidelity. One after another they came near, kissed the cross, and saluted the usurper. Then it came the turn of the soldiers of the garrison. The tailor of the company, armed with his big blunt scissors, cut off their cues. They shook their heads and touched their lips to Pugachev's hand. The latter told them they were pardoned and enrolled among his troops. All this lasted about three hours. At last Pugachev rose from his armchair and went down the steps followed by his chiefs. There was brought for him a white horse, richly caparisoned. Two Cossacks held his arms and helped him into the saddle. He announced to Father Garasim that he would dine at his house. At this moment arose a woman's heart-rending shrieks. Some robbers were dragging to the steps Vasilisa Igorovna, with disheveled hair and half-dressed. One of them had already appropriated her cloak. The others were carrying off the mattresses, boxes, linen, tea-sets, and all manner of things. "'Oh, my fathers!' cried the poor old woman. "'Let me alone, I pray you. My fathers, my fathers, bring me to Ivan Kuzmich!' All of a sudden she perceived the gallows and recognized her husband's. "'Villains!' she exclaimed beside herself. "'What have you done? Oh, my light, my Ivan Kuzmich! Bold soldier, heart! Neither Prussian bayonets nor Turkish bullets ever harmed you!' and you have died before a vile runaway felon. Silence the old witch, said Pugachev. A young Cossack struck her with his sword on the head, and she fell dead at the foot of the steps. Pugachev went away, all the people crowding in his train. End of chapter 7 Recording by Kevin Davidson www.blogordie.com